Well, hey, good morning. Glad to see you this morning. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's exciting to have all the kids with us this morning. Where are you guys? Hi. You guys waking up too, aren't you? Well, hey, we're gl- I'm glad you're here. But kids, here's what, I'm going to need your help this morning. If some of you be thinking ahead, do you know the story of Jonah? Have you heard about Jonah? And if you've heard about Jonah and you'd be willing to come up front here after a little while and maybe answer some questions, then I'm going to ask you to come help me a little later. Does that sound good? All right. So that's our, that's our plan uh, later this morning. So kids, just keep that in mind. For the rest of you, we're studying, for all of us, we're studying the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're studying it through all four gospels at the same time. And this morning we are in uh, Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to pick it up in verse 38. Uh, We finished with verse 37 last week, and we're just going to pick up right where we left off. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, and then we'll pray together, and then we'll unpack it. Verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, Jesus says, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, the queen of the south, Jesus goes on, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. And then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Let's pray and then we're going to unpack and see uh, what the Lord has for us from that passage this morning. Uh, Father, thanks for Jesus. And thanks for your grace to us through him. I pray this morning that as uh, we work through this passage where Jesus um, refuses to be um, a worker of wonders who just does signs on demand but instead does still uh, give a sign of his greatness and of his power, which we'll see is in his resurrection. I pray for us that as we have the sign of, of his word and uh, the, the ability to look back at, at what's happened and, and what Jesus has accomplished for us, that we wouldn't be like uh, these scribes and Pharisees, that we wouldn't um, remain neutral to Jesus, uh, but that instead we would, we would follow him that we'd, we'd repent like the men of Nineveh, that we would uh, turn to you for wisdom like the queen of the south, and that you teach us. Holy Spirit, thanks that you forgive me of my sin, and thank you uh, that you fill me and, and choose to use me. I pray this morning you would again, and I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Uh, he would take your word and twist it and accuse us, but instead, Spirit, would you teach us and change us. I pray all this through the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. As we're reading, you look at verse 38. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, 
saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign for you. And the first thing you just need to recognize here is just what's going on is that the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, were demanding a sign from Jesus. They were demanding a sign from him. Now, it says then, right? So this is right after everything we studied last Sunday. So if you were here with us last week, you remember that... um, Jesus had, had told the Pharisees and the scribes when, when they told, remember, he, he cast a demon out of a man. And then they said, no, he's not God. He's doing this by the power of Beelzebub. He's doing this by the power of a demon, by the power of Satan. They, they were accusing Jesus of being possessed by Satan. And then Jesus starts to call them some names. He calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them a wicked uh, people. And then here this morning, we're going to see um, he's going to do the same. Last time he compared him to a bad tree with bad fruit. And he told them they need to repent to have their fruit and their tree be made good. And then they answer him in this way after he said that to him. After he said, if you want to be good, you got to make the tree good. If, if you want to be whole, you need to repent. And they said, well, teacher, but we would like to see a sign from you. But rewind a little bit. What had happened right previous to this? What had Jesus done? He cast something out of some guy who was blind and mute. Do you remember? A demon. And then the, the demon went out. And then what happened to the guy who was blind and mute? He could see, it says, and he could talk. So he had just done a, a pretty good sign. Would you, would you call it? Eh, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty good. I don't know if I could do that. Jesus had just done that. And yet here they come back. And then he teaches and, and says, you, you have a hard heart. You're, you're a bad tree. You need to repent and be made good. And what do they do? They go, well, we, we might, Jesus, but could you give us a sign? Dude, what? where were you five minutes ago? That's what I would have said. Where were you five minutes ago? But before we knock the Pharisees and go on, we should... Remember the fact that all of us have seen God's goodness over and over and over too. All of us have copies of his word in our hands. All of us have seen him provide for us with a place to live and food to eat and clothes to wear. We've all seen his goodness. And so before we rip on the Pharisees too much, we should remember that we're just like them in a lot of ways. Because even though we see God's goodness over and over and over in our life and in our church and in our family, oftentimes we go, um... Hey, could you, you know, I'd follow you, Jesus, if you just do this for me. I, see, I, I can't follow you because this is hard, or I can't follow you because I see this. I, and we ignore all the goodness and all the signs he's already given. And we're just like him. We're just like him. And, and we, 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 just, we just want one more thing, or, or, we, or we try to make a deal and negotiate with God and negotiate with Jesus for different things. And that's, just, just keep in mind, When we do that, we're just like the Pharisees here who had just seen an incredible sign. And they said, hey, could you show us a sign? Could you just prove it for me? Loved ones, if Jesus never gave you or I another experience of his grace, he's given us enough already to follow him. And it was the same for the Pharisees. Well, let's see how Jesus replies to them. After, he, after they ask for a sign, here's how he replies, verse 39. But he answered them. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Jesus calls them names again. He starts calling them names again. 
Remember last time he just called them a brood of vipers in verse 34. And now they're an evil and they're an adulterous generation is what he says to these religious leaders. Evil, they were sinful. They had evil intentions. See, the reality is that I don't know that they were really looking for a sign as much as they were looking for a way to trap Jesus and condemn him. They, they didn't go into it with a, with a heart of saying, Jesus, would you show me who you are? Because let me tell you, if you go to Jesus in that way, you pray to him, you study his word, and you seek him out, he will be found. And you'll find him to be who he is. But if you go just looking for some kind of a trap or some kind of a thing to prove something, I don't know that it's going to happen. That's the deal with the Pharisees. He also called them adulterous. They had turned from God's provision, from Jesus as the Messiah. Often in the Old Testament, God describes his relationship with his people as one of a marriage where he's the groom and we're the bride. And in fact, Jesus replies that, and, and Paul says that in the New Testament. And, and in the Old Testament, though, especially, you see over and over where God's people, when they turn from him, God says, you're, he, he, here's what he says. He actually says, you're whoring after other gods. You're chasing after other gods. You're like a prostitute chasing after false gods and turning from me. His love for us is so profound, so deep, so enduring that when we turn from him to other things, that's how deeply he feels it. It's as if a spouse was cheating on him. That's how deeply he loves you and cares for you. It's both a picture of God's love for us and it's a picture of the horrendous awfulness of our sin. But Jesus says to them that they're an evil and they're an adulterous generation that seeks a sign. But he says, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus says, you seek a sign? Well, guess what? I'm not playing your game today. I'm not playing it. I'm not a genie in a bottle. You didn't rub a lamp and you do not get three wishes from me. But I'll give you one sign and it's yet future. And here's what it's going to be. It's going to be the same thing as the prophet Jonah. It's the same as the prophet Jonah. Well, what was the sign of the prophet Jonah? Jonah. Where are some kids? I need some help. Anybody willing to come help me? Before we know the sign of the prophet Jonah, we got to know the story of Jonah. Is and anybody willing to come help me? Just come on up. You don't even raise your hand. Just come on up if you're willing to help me with Jonah. Hey, Ty, come on down. Aiden, anybody else? All right. Here, you guys, why don't you guys stand right here? You can stand right here. All right, we got another one. Which one are you, Drew or Will? Will. Will, I couldn't see very good. Just checking. There's, if you see the other one, his name is Drew. Just go with Will or Drew and you'll find him. All right, guys, here's the deal. You know the story of Jonah, right? So can you help me tell it to everybody? You can? Awesome. Because we don't know the story of Jonah, do we? No, we need, to, we need to know it. So first off, what happens? Can you remember when, when God goes to Jonah, what's the first thing he says to Jonah? Uh, throw him um, in the water. They throw Jonah in the water, right? He ends up being thrown in the water. That's one big piece of the story. How did he end up on the boat? Um, uh, they put him on a boat. Then um, they put him in the water. They did. They put him on a boat, and then they put him in the water. Do you follow him? Aiden, do you know why he ended up on the boat? Because he had to go to Nineveh and um, give a... Um, because he was a messenger and he had to send a message to Nineveh. Yeah, he had to send a message to Nineveh, right, Isaac? Do you remember that part? And, and Nineveh's that way. And God says, Jonah, you're not Isaac. You got Isaac's name tag on. 
you're confusing me. You're playing with me. Where's your, is your uncle Isaac even here today? He's not here. Don't mess with me. It's daylight savings time. I'm tired. So we got Nineveh this way. And God tells Jonah, he says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And then you know what Nona does? Nona. Jonah does. See, I'm, it's a long day. What's Jonah do, buddy? Go on a boat on the opposite direction. Exactly. High five. He goes on, he goes the totally opposite direction. And he goes and he gets on a boat. Why did he do that? He was scared of Nineveh because people were like very mean there. There were some bad dudes in Nineveh. There were. And they were wicked and they were evil. And God tells Jonah, he says, go preach the gospel to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I don't want to. And he runs the entire opposite direction and he gets on a boat. And then Ty told us what happened after he got on the boat. What did they do again? Um, He fell off the boat and they put him in the water. They threw him in the water because when they're on the boat, there's a big storm. Big storm comes up and the boat's shaking and they're like, whose fault is it? And remember, they cast lots and then they pick one and they decide it's Jonah's fault. And so Jonah says, think about this. Jonah, rather than repenting, says, just kill me. Throw me off. And he, he gets thrown off the boat and drew, or Will, I'm sorry. Will, what happens after he gets thrown in the water? Does anything happen to Jonah when he's in the water? Does anything come up and go gulp on him? A big fish. A big fish. Yeah, a big fish swallows him. A big fish swallows Jonah. So Jonah, even though he's trying to kill himself, even though he's trying to keep running from God, God chases him down, swallows him whole. Gulp, right? Did I get it right? Pretty good. That's pretty good. Now think about this. Here's here's just another point of application on that, that. If you're running from God, God would rather see you anywhere, even in the belly of a big fish, than running from him. And he'll chase you down because he loves you. Well, guys, can you tell me how long was Jesus in the belly of that fish, or Jonah, excuse me, in the belly of that fish? Um, Five days and three nights. You have the nights right. How many days? Mm. It's the same as the nights. Three? Three! Three days and three nights. You're thinking like a cruise, like four days, three nights. But it it was was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights, right? And then what happens after three days and three nights? The fish spits them out. The fish, you know what it says in the Bible? It actually says the, the fish vomits him on dry land. So he throws him up onto the land. So think about it. So Jonah gets, gets spit up on the land with everything that the fish had ate for dinner for the last three days. Ooh. Boy, that makes you hungry, doesn't it? I want to think about it. Hey, give these guys a hand. They nailed it. Good job. So there's the story of Jonah. Jonah runs from God. He gets swallowed by a big fish. And it may have been a whale. Drew may be right. The Bible just doesn't tell us for sure what kind of fish it was. And, and he was swallowed, and he lived there for three days and three nights before he was thrown up onto dry land. And do you know what happens, though? I skipped one big part of the story. You know what happened while he was in the belly of the fish? He repented. He repented. 
And he turned back to God and, and he says, okay, I'll, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go, I'll go. And then God spits him out and says, okay, go. And then Jonah goes to Nineveh. And when he gets to Nineveh, to this incredibly wicked people, originally he said, I don't want to go there because they're so wicked, they're so evil. If I, I know how good you are, God. If I go there, they're going to repent. They're, they're going to turn. And so he doesn't go. And he runs and he's swallowed by the fish and he spits up and then he goes. And then what, is he, what do they do when Jonah preaches? Mass revival. Mass revival. They all turn to Jesus. They all dress themselves in sackcloth and ashes you want a good story maybe to read with your kids, uh, parents, the book of Jonah, it's an easy read. It's just four chapters. You can probably read it with them in about 15, 20 minutes and maybe have them tell it to you as well. But here's what Jesus says. He says, for, verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, here's what's curious to me. Just one little aside. Oftentimes people hear the story of Jonah and they go, see, that's why I don't believe the Bible. Just a big fairy tales. What a bunch of nonsense. Well, two things. One, if you have trouble believing that, that, that God could cause a fish to swallow a person whole and keep them alive for three days, that's, that's like small fries compared to the fact that he spoke and created everything. So pack it up in Genesis before you ever get to Jonah. Okay, don't, don't blame Jonah. If God can create everything, he can cause somebody to live for three days in the belly of a fish he also created. But the other thing to note, Jesus here clearly seems to see that Jonah is a real person. Jesus claims he was real. Students, you'll get to maybe a state school, different uh, academic settings, and they'll tell you, no, the story of Jonah, that's just nonsense. It's just a fairy tale. Uh, Jesus seems to think it was real. And he says, the sign of Jonah is the same as the sign for me. For just as for three days and three nights, he's in the belly of the great fish. So the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is the first time that unambiguously Jesus predicts his death. And not only his death, but his resurrection. And not only that, but he predicts it with precision. (laughs) Three days, I'm back. Right? Three days. Three days. And what happens? He's crucified, buried, and three days he rose, he rose from the grave, right? That's the sign of Jonah. And the heart of the earth, it compares, I could go into all kinds of stuff, how, how that compares with exactly what uh, it talks about in Jonah in the Hebrew, but I won't bore you with that other than to say that that's the sign, three days, three nights. Now, one question that comes up is, well, what about the traditional Holy Week calendar? We're coming up on Easter, right? We're coming up on the resurrection, a week from Friday, actually, is Good Friday, the day where uh, the evangelical church uh, traditionally, the Orthodox Church traditionally celebrates the, the crucifixion of Jesus. And then it's two days later, according to the way we count, that he rises from the grave on, on Sunday. How does that work? Well, two things to think about. One, in Jewish idiom, uh, any part of the day counted as a whole. So he, if, he, if that was true, if he died Friday, there's one. If he was in the grave Saturday, there's two. If he was in the grave part of Sunday, there's three. So three days later, three days, three nights, it's just an idiom for three days. But there's also some evidence that, um, if you're curious, I'll be glad to show you. There's some evidence that would speak to the fact that maybe Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday. And that he rose Saturday night, which would be the beginning of Sunday morning for the Jewish people. In any case, though, that's the sign that he was dead, fully dead, not mostly dead, totally dead, buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered death. 
And listen, if that didn't happen, if that sign didn't happen, we're all wasting a whole lot of time. A whole lot of time. Well, Jesus goes on, though. He's not done talking about Jonah. Remember, he's addressing the Pharisees who want a sign. He's addressing the scribes who want a sign, who had just seen a big sign. He says in verse 41, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. The men of Nineveh, remember, they were wicked. They were incredibly wicked. But when they heard God's word, what did they do? They repented. Listen, we sang it this morning, wherever you've been, whatever's been going on in your life, if you would simply repent, which all that means is to turn, Jesus would save you. It just means turning from my way to Jesus. Turning from what I think to what Jesus says. It's simply turning, that's all it is. If you would simply repent, you would be saved. No matter where you're at or what you've done or what's been done to you. See, but they repented, Jesus said, and they're going to rise up in the end and they're going to rise up in judgment with this generation, with the men who are the scribes and Pharisees wanting a sign. He says, those men, those wicked men, they're going to rise up and they're going to condemn you because they repented and you are not repenting. And you know what? That's the same word to us. They're going to rise up in judgment against us if we fail to repent and turn to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. Because the reality is, and it's a harsh one, but it's a true one. Uh, 10 out of 10 people die. It's true. And then after that, he, the, the author of Hebrews tells us, you're appointed once to die and then to face judgment. After you die, you face judgment. And the reality is all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve death and punishment eternally under God's wrath in hell. But Jesus paid that penalty for us. He took the punch of God's wrath on the cross. And if I would simply repent and turn to Jesus, he credits my sin to Jesus, God does. And then he credits Jesus' righteousness to my life. It's like transferring money in bank accounts. All of Jesus' righteousness comes to me. So now when I face judgment, it's not my works that are judged in terms of my salvation. It's Jesus. And guess how Jesus did it? Perfectly. And when I trust Jesus, I'm okay. But no, there's coming a day of judgment. And unless you repent and turn to Jesus, the men of Nineveh will rise up with us and they'll condemn you for not turning to Jesus. Because the truth is the evidence against you and me is overwhelming. Overwhelming. Could easily just not go to trial and just be like, nope, guilty. So clear. Yet Jesus steps in as our advocate. But it requires you to repent and to trust him, like the men of Nineveh. Well, here's the thing to see about Jesus, because he goes, Behold, there's something you, you won't they listen to Jonah, but you won't listen to me, and something greater than Jonah's here. First thing you write down this morning, Jesus is a greater prophet than Jonah. Jesus is a greater prophet than Jonah. Jesus says, behold, look, that means pay attention. Don't miss it. Something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is greater than Jonah. This reminds us that everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Every person points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he's a greater prophet. Jesus, or you might say Jesus is a greater preacher than Jonah. Will you listen to him? Will you listen to him? 
When you hear the word of the Lord, when you hear words from Jesus as you read God's word or as you hear me speak, not my words, but Jesus' words, will you listen to him and turn to him and follow him? Well, Jesus keeps this theme going. Look at verse 42. He says also, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The queen of the south, you may have heard of her as uh, the queen of Sheba. That's the, that's the same person. And she was a queen from southern Arabia. And uh, she comes to visit Solomon. I'm going to read the account to you here in a second. But what you need to know, Jesus says, she comes to Solomon to get wisdom. Solomon was the king of Israel. And he says, behold, she listened to Solomon, but you're not listening to me. And something greater than Solomon, greater than King Solomon is here. He said, he's saying, I'm greater than King Solomon. So the other thing to note is that Jesus is a greater king than Solomon. Jesus is a greater king than King Solomon. So this queen of the south, let me read the account to you. I think it'll be on the screen as well. First Kings chapter 10. When the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, which brought honor to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Solomon, just so you know, it's, it's told to us in scripture that he's the wisest man who's ever lived. Clearly other than Jesus, right? Because Jesus says here, I'm greater than Solomon. But he's the wisest man who's ever lived. God gave him incredible wisdom. And he was an incredible king. And the kingdom of Israel flourished more under Solomon than anyone else. So she comes to see what all this is about. And the queen, queen of Sheba, she arrives in Jerusalem with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices, large quantities of gold and precious jewels. Clearly, she's a queen. She has incredible wealth. Well, when she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything that she had on her mind. And Solomon, verse 3, had answers for all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. I wish I had Solomon's wisdom. Because I get stumped all the time with questions. People ask me a question, what about this? What about that? I, I think maybe this, but I really don't know. Solomon answers every question. He leaves nothing unanswered for her. Nothing was too hard for him. Verse 4, when the queen of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. In the ESV, that, that line right there, it says that there was no more breath in her. She was also amazed at the food on his tables. The organization of his officials and their splendid clothing, the cupbearers, and the burnt offerings Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. Solomon was just an incredible guy. It would have been amazing to see the temple under King Solomon and to see his riches and to hear of his wisdom. And she exclaimed to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and I saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom, she tells Solomon, and your prosperity are far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Jesus says the queen of Sheba, who traveled a great distance from the south with all of these riches, with, with her whole court of attendants and officials and comes to see Solomon. She went there a little bit skeptical, it sounds like. 
And when she gets there and she sees all that he had done, all that he had, and heard all of his wisdom, she was like, wow. There was no breath left in her. She was overwhelmed. And she goes on and says, it's, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know what the, I didn't, I I didn't even hear half of what really is here. It's incredible. The Pharisees should have responded to Jesus that way. And let me tell you, when, when the truth is, when we see Jesus for who he really is, like the queen of Sheba saw Solomon in all of his glory and all of his splendor and all of his wisdom, when we go to him like she did to Solomon with all of our questions and all that's on our mind, when we seek answers from Jesus, when we seek his great wealth and his great wisdom, what happens is you're left without breath and you're overwhelmed. And you go on and say some of these things that, Jesus, everything I heard about you, your words, your wisdom, all of it, it, it's true. When you turn to Jesus, that's what you say. You repent, you turn to him and you say, Jesus, everything I heard about you from your word, it's, it's true. It's true. You're good, you're gracious, you're righteous, you're perfect, you're all wise, all knowing, all powerful. You paid the penalty for me on the, it's all true. And in fact, as you grow to know him and you see more of who he is, you find out that I I didn't know the half of it. I didn't know the half of it of how good you are and how great you are. Here was a queen from a foreign land. She wasn't an Israelite. And she came to the king of Israel, King Solomon, to seek his wisdom. And when she heard it, she was amazed. And Jesus says, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, when they heard Jesus speak, they should have been just as amazed. Because someone greater than Solomon was there. And Jesus references her and he says, just like the men of Nineveh, she will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Loved ones, if you've never repented and trusted Jesus, she'll also rise up with this generation with you and condemn you. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. At great expense, great danger, she traveled. The Pharisees and scribes just had to walk across the street. (laughs) But she traveled all that way and when she heard his wisdom... She turned. Yet when the Pharisees, when they heard Jesus' wisdom, they wanted another sign. And behold, Jesus says something greater than Solomon's here. Jesus says, I'm greater than Solomon. He's a greater king than Solomon. He's wiser than Solomon. Will you follow his wisdom? Will you follow his wisdom? The queen of Sheba followed Solomon's wisdom. Will you follow Jesus' wisdom? Jonah, Jesus is like, yeah, um, I'm greater. I'm greater. How about Solomon? Jesus, yep, yep, greater, check. I want to take you back to a verse earlier in this chapter that's not in the passage this morning because there's another time Jesus makes this statement that behold, something greater, meaning himself, is here. And it's in the beginning of chapter 12. If you look at the beginning of chapter 12 with me, starting, um, I'm going to start reading in verse 1, but on the screen you'll see verse 5. At, this, at, the, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to, and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, there they are, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, he ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only the priests? Or have you not read how read in the law how on the Sabbath, this is verse 5, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? In other words, the priests who are in the temple, they can eat of that bread and there's no guilt. 
for them to do so on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, look, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. We saw this morning, he said something greater than Jonah, he's a greater prophet. Something greater than Solomon, he's a greater king. Earlier, he said something greater than the temple. He's saying, I'm a greater priest. I'm a higher priest. Jesus is greater. He's a greater priest. And what did the priests do? Well, they would, they would intercede for people. They would intercede. They'd be the mediators between man and God. They would intercede for them and they'd offer sacrifice for their sin. And the question for you, Jesus offered a, a perfect sacrifice as the high priest, the perfect sacrifice for your sin with his life. Will you receive a sacrifice for you? Here's the deal. Jesus is the greater prophet. He's the greater priest and he's the greater king. He's the greater prophet, the greater priest, and the greater king. And the reality is that no one is greater than Jesus. No one is. In fact, all of the Old Testament, you know what it is? You know what it is? It's it's a game of hot and cold pointing to Jesus. Do you know how to play hot and cold? Help me out, Jake. How do you play hot and cold? Like if we're searching for something and I say, you get up and you start moving around and I'm saying, what do I say? You're getting what? Hotter if you're getting closer to it or colder if you're getting farther from it, right? And so we're like, hot, hotter, hotter. You're getting hotter. You're getting closer. You're, oh, oh, you're burning up, man. You're burning up. And then if you're going the other way, like, dude, it's freezing in here. Like, you're so cold. Until you finally find what it is, right? That's the whole Old Testament. It's a whole game of hotter and colder. And it's hotter and hotter. And it starts with Abraham, right? And Abraham was faithful. But guess who's more faithful than Abraham? Jesus. Jesus is. And not only Abraham, but then you have Isaac. And guess who was a greater sacrifice than Isaac would have been? Jesus. And then you have Aaron. Aaron was the high priest. Who's a greater high priest than Aaron was? You can help, you can help me, Jesus. Sunday school answer, it's easy. Then Joshua. Jo- Joshua was a general and a leader. Who's a greater general and leader than Joshua? Jesus is. How about the judges? Who's a greater judge than all the judges? Jesus is Jonah. He already said it. I'm I'm a greater deliverer. His resurrection is a greater deliverance than that of Jonah. David, Jesus is a greater king. Solomon, Jesus is wiser. Boaz, Jesus is a greater redeemer. Elijah, Jesus is a greater prophet. It all points to Jesus. And Jesus is greater. And there's no one greater. And the question for you this morning is, will you follow him? Will you follow him? Will you follow him? He's greater if you think about people today, he's, he's greater than whatever self-help guru you can find. He's greater than any businessman you can find. He's greater than any politician you could elect. Jesus is greater. Will you turn to him and follow him? Before we close, do you remember what started this whole exchange? It was back in verse 22. Jesus cast a demon out of a man, right? And he healed him of his blindness and of his inability to speak. And Jesus references that again here as he closes this passage. Verse 43, he reminds them of that. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. Now, sometimes people read that and they go, what is that talking about? What's, they think that this is teaching about, about demons and how demons act. and all. That. You know what's really the heart of what Jesus is saying here? He's addressing the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and probably the man whom he cast the demon out of. The, the, the main point of Jesus' teaching in the end here isn't 
the demon, it's the house, it's the person. He's saying, uh, for this man, for example, I just cast this demon out of him. I healed his sight. I healed his, his, his tongue. And he can speak and he can see again. And he's, uh, things are put in order in his life. But if he's not careful, what's going to happen is he's going to fall back into the same pattern of sin. The same pat- everything's gonna, and it's going to be worse for him in the end than it was before I ever cast the demon out. And Jesus says the same thing to us. You may work really hard hanging fruit like we talked about last week, right? And, and trying to get everything in your life all in order and all put in place. And, and you get rid of, and should you pursue these things? Yeah. Should you pursue to get rid of addiction? Should you pursue to, to get things in order? And absolutely you should. That's a noble thing. But if that's all you do and you remain neutral to Jesus, what's going to happen is in the end, it's going to be worse for you than it was before you got all those things in order. If you never turn to Jesus. And he had said this earlier himself. There's no remaining neutral with him. Either you're with him or you're against him. He said it in verse 30. He said it last Sunday. You're either with Jesus or you're against him. There's no, I'm going to wait and see. No, 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 no. You're, you're either with him or you're against him. There, there's, there's no straddle in the fence. There's no middle ground. It's black and white. If you're not following Jesus, you're following the prince of the power of the air. Paul writes in Ephesians, you're following the enemy. And it'll be worse for you on that last day than it was on the first. But if you've turned to Jesus, if you've trusted him, then Jesus has come to put your house in order. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. And you have nothing to fear. And you turn him and trust him and follow him. For Jesus is greater. Amen? Let me pray. Uh, we'll sing, take our offering, call it a morning. And... Uh, and head out for the week. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. And thank you that, uh, that he is greater than any, anyone else in scripture or anything else I could pursue with my life. Uh, the truth is, is, as we read your word, everything points to Jesus and his work on the cross. Abraham's life did, Isaac did, Joshua did, Jonah did, Solomon did. They all pointed Jesus to you. And if we're going to be wise, then we should recognize that, Jesus, and turn to you because you are greater. We should follow you, receive your sacrifice, listen to your preaching and to your word. I pray you'd help me to do that and that you'd help us as a church to do that, Jesus, that you'd be the first thing in, in all that we do and all that we say and all that we are. And Father, I pray then for those who are, who've never trusted you, who've never made that decision to turn to you. I, I pray today might be the day that they would choose to do that, that today might be the day that they repent of their sin. And unlike the Pharisees, but very much like the queen of the South and the men of Nineveh, they would repent and turn to you, recognizing you for who you are and that they'd be able to say as they get to know you, just like the queen did of Solomon, that that they didn't know the half of how good you are and that everything that they've heard about you is, is true. Jesus, there's no remaining neutral. We're either with you or we're against you. And if we're against you, we're in for a world of pain and hurt and sorrow. So I pray for each one here and who might hear my voice that they would turn to you in faith. Father, thanks for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen.